Hello, and welcome to Be an Instructional Design Rockstar with Blair Stamper. Welcome to season three. I am just so excited for this season because I am doing something that I have never done before. In this season, I am going to interview instructional designers in the field and online learning professionals. This season is all about their journey and their background to where they are today. And the one thing that I notice that really threads through each person I interview is this innate ability to take these soft skills and skills that they have from previous careers, previous scholarly work, and apply it to the instructional design field. And the goal of this season is really just to empower you, the listener, to show that you can become an instructional designer and be successful in this career. I am so excited to be able to share these stories and to create a community and safe space to have these conversations. So let's get started. For this episode, I chatted with Christy Woods. Christy defines herself as an instructional designer, coach, and a connector. But I would argue that she's so much more than that. I have been able to get to know Christy through the ID to ID program with Educause, and it's just been amazing to see her grow, see her passion for what she does, um, and just be able to be around her positive energy. And our chat was just so good with the amount of advice that she has about um, getting into the instructional design field and not feeling like you have to know everything there is to know before you jump in. So I hope you enjoy this conversation between myself and Christy. Um, so Christy, I just wanted to say thank you for hopping on to be an instructional designer podcast or be an instructional design rockstar podcast. Um, so I kind of just want to start off with just tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> it's like the dreaded interview question that everyone um, has a hard time with. But well, thanks for inviting me, Blair. It's really cool to be on. Um, yeah, I, you know, when I think about like who I am and what it is that I do, I am just a lover of people and um, really try to embody that in everything that I do. And so um, I, in the world of instructional design and um, design thinking in general, I really try to create like welcoming spaces and inclusive spaces and, you know, decrease barriers and all these pieces. And um, and then I do uh, quite a bit of mentoring, networking, coaching, which are all very people-centered. Um, and so, yeah, I think at the heart of who I am and what I do, it's very much people and the relationships that we make. And, um, and I try to highlight that as much as possible. That's awesome. Yeah, I noticed on your LinkedIn, it says um, inclusive instructional designer. And I just, every time I read that, I'm like, yes, that's just amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's been such a cool journey too, because I think, um, uh, well, I work in higher ed and I know that you do too. And so I think higher ed has kind of gotten with the program around inclusion. And so I kind of got plopped into the middle of that after having a counseling background and uh, I say this all the time, and I'm sure there's a recording of me somewhere <laughs> seeing this already, but I like to joke around that counseling is like really a degree in diversity and inclusion. 
And so you're like really taught to like build rapport with people uh, from all different walks of life and really respect differences and, you know, consider accessibility and cultural dynamics and all these different pieces in counseling. And when I started my instructional design journey, I got plopped into a team that was really focused on inclusion. And so I was really lucky to have that kind of um, gentle guidance around inclusion in the design space and then bring everything that I had already learned from counseling and be like, ah, yes, I get to continue being inclusive and um, really highlighting opportunities to build um, design and learning experiences that bring people in. Um, and so it's been so cool. I've just really enjoyed um, continuing to do it. And then it's really just become my own personal mission to whatever I build, whatever I grow, make it as inclusive and accessible as possible. That's amazing. And I can hear and feel your passion when you talk about that too. Um, I always say as an instructional designer, I'm part therapist. So I love that you have a counselor background with that. Um, so it mm -hmm. actually goes really well into the next question. Um, but what is your academic and scholarly background? Yeah, so um, I did my bachelor's degree in counseling and I just happened, <laughs> this is this is gonna be a theme in my story. I just happened upon these things. I happened upon a counseling specific program. So like a lot of bachelor's degrees in the US are psychology and they're general psych. And then the idea is that you go into graduate, um, graduate school and you specialize in something um, more specific, but my bachelor's degree was counseling. And so I got to do like a practicum in counseling as an undergrad student and got to learn like counseling theories and uh, theories of personality and all these things that you learn in grad school if you want to go for um, counseling in grad school. So it's really primed then to go on to grad school. And I, I actually skipped my master's and went directly into a PhD um, for counseling psychology. And I was really set to be a licensed psychologist. And um, I did a few years of that program. And what's really cool about PhDs, and, and I don't know if you can relate to this too, Blair, doing your EDD, um, you get to do a lot of cool things. And it, I wasn't just counseling. Like I got to teach and I got to research. I got to advise. I created new programs with people. So I did program evaluation. I did a ton of cool stuff. Um, and somewhere along the, the line realized that I no longer wanted to do counseling. <laughs> and so um, and that was like three years deep into my PhD. And so I ended up leaving that program and went into higher ed um, and did advising, like academic advising for a couple of years, just as I kind of figured out what I wanted to do. I had such a linear path in counseling that I was like, I don't know. <laughs> what else am I going to do in this world? If I'm not a counselor, I really had some, some issues to work through around worth. Um, so uh, in the meantime, I was lucky enough to be at a college that paid for your education. So if you wanted to go get another degree, get a master's, get a PhD, they paid for it. And so I was like, well, it's a perfect opportunity. <laughs> I, um, you know, I've already gotten toward the PhD. I know it can be successful. So I went for my educational leadership master's, um, which was in higher ed and in the community college. And um, somewhere along the lines, I met an instructional designer and I was like, excuse me, 
what is this job? <laughs> what are you doing? It sounds very cool. Um, and the program that I was in uh, did like curriculum and design as well. So like it was already kind of privy to it just by happenstance. Um, and they had um, a master's in ed tech or a grad cert in ed tech. So I ended up getting um, a grad cert as well. So now I have a master's in education uh, for educational leadership and a grad cert in educational technology for adult learning. Very long <laughs> educational <laughs> history. <laughs> no, I love it. And your story is such a resilience too, because yeah, being able to, first of all, identify like, okay, this is the path for me. And then it sounds like your bachelor's was very specific, like mine, where yours is very counseling. Mine was elementary education. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. now what, what else can I do with this? Yeah. Um, so I totally feel you on that moment of that growth that you had to have. And that, I think that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, very counterintuitive to the way that we even, promote careers, right? You're like supposed to get out of high school and at least in the U S I'll say, and you get out of high school and you're supposed to like, know what you want to do in life at 18, which like, who knows what anybody wants to do then. And then you go into college and you're supposed to just pick something. And then like that, that's supposed to be your career for the rest of your life, especially in education. Like I can't even imagine pivoting after that. And so, um, yeah, it's very counterintuitive. And I, I, I'm speaking very like lightly about it now, but in the process, I was like, oh, I have no worth. I have no value. I've only done one thing. Like I really had to do some inner work, a lot of therapy to recognize that like my worth wasn't tied to what I did for work and that I could pivot and my worth and my value would still be there regardless. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I just, I don't I'm speechless because I'm over here nodding like, yep, same. I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely hard. Yes. Um, all right. So then knowing you were a counselor, academic advisor in the past, how do you use those skills that you had in those previous careers as an instructional designer? And then also as a networking coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, I like that you were talking about an instructional design that you use like your counseling skills because it's very true. I feel like I use my counseling skills more now than I did when I was in advising. And to me, counseling and advising felt very connected. Like advising is just counseling light. It's very surface level, but it's like the same skills over and over. But as soon as I transitioned into instructional design, and working on teams and working with subject matter experts and stakeholders who have their own agendas, um, really getting people to do what you need them to do when you need them to do it, counseling. <laughs> it's all rapport building, building relationships, getting people to trust you and trust that like what you have to say is um, of value. Like there's so, especially in higher ed, I think it can be... Well, I'm, I'm not even just in higher ed. I, well, okay, let me think this. Faculty have taught for many, many years. And then I, as an instructional designer, come in and say, hey, um, we now know that that's not the greatest way to teach, right? And anytime you're coming in and giving somebody um, constructive feedback in that way, there's always going to be a defense because it's like you're telling somebody that the thing that they've done for 20 years, for 10 years, for five years is now somehow wrong. So I use my counseling skills to then um, really uh, 
not tell them that they're doing it wrong, but just say like, Hey, we can make this so much better and build their trust and do that. So, um, that happens all of the time. (laughs) Um, and, and again, just working on teams, I've had really collaborative ID teams. So, um, I was on a team of four, um, in a previous role, I'm on a team of five now. And so we do a lot of collaborative work too. And again, relationship building, getting people to do things. Um, and that's not like in a, sometimes it feels like manipulative, but it really is like the more people know you and, and cherish their time with you, the more they're willing to do for you, the more you're willing to do for them. And it's this total feedback loop. Um, so that for sure happens all the time. Now in networking coaching, same thing, right? It's just relationship building. So how do I get um, my clients to one, trust in themselves and do that value inner work, know that they're good enough. A lot of times people are like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to bother somebody. I don't want to like put burden on them. I don't feel like I have enough confidence, whatever it is. Um, there, there's a lot of inner work that I think is very similar with counseling um, and then teaching them that they can build relationships too. So once I learned that like uh, not everyone knew how to build relationships, I was like, whoa, like <laughs> I had never like thought about it, but I was trained to do it. And so um, I really just share that knowledge with um, the clients that I work with and help them, you know, build their relationships and let those be sustainable in a way that feels authentic for them. So um, so yeah, it's like counseling everywhere. <laughs> I love it. And I love your, your comment about the inner work, um, that has mm. to be done in order to have those relationships. I was actually, I just posted, um, on Instagram recently about that. I live, I live in Michigan. And so mm-hmm. we're always construction season. And what we, for some reason, we always just resurface all the roads rather yeah. than like <laughs> digging deep. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a perfect analogy of us. Like just resurfacing, trying to like do these little tiny things rather than like looking in the deep work to, to make growth happen. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. And it's so funny too. Cause I feel like, um, you don't realize how much inner work there is to be done <laughs> until you really start to dig underneath the roads and you're like, oh no, <laughs> I didn't realize like Something that came up for me, uh, and I think this might come up for a lot of people that are in any kind of helping professions like education and counseling, and I would argue instructional design, um, there's this kind of need to be needed thing that came up for me where I was like, I'm so willing to do anything for anybody because I get something from that. I, I really need to feel needed in that way. So, um, now, you know, as a coach, as an instructional designer, I'm really aware of that. And if I'm feeling like I have no boundaries right now, I'm like, well, okay, what's happening. Uh, and really start to dive into like, okay, am I, am I feeling the need to feel needed again? And, um, can I let that go so that I can set boundaries and be an all around better version of myself because I've set those boundaries. So yeah, it's, it's really cool to, continue to dig into the inner work because there's always so much to be done. Absolutely. Um, so what's your greatest success so far in the field? Hmm. Um, I think my greatest success so far has been operate. Okay. So this isn't like a one, (laughs) this is going to be metaphorical. (laughs) It's, um, it's not, 
one specific thing that has happened, but it's these times where someone will reach out to me because they've seen something I've done. Like I, for instance, I, I, I got dropped into a team that was um, doing an inclusive teaching fellowship and they, it was grant funded and the instructional designers created the content for inclusive teaching, right? Because we're the experts on that. And, <clears throat> and then these faculty and PhD students went to the course and then they had a course in mind that they wanted to redesign to be more inclusive, to be more accessible. And then they did the redesign with us. So we had different teams. Um, and worked really closely for months to redesign their courses and then they launched the course. So it was a huge feat um, and like super in line with all of my values. I loved every second of it. Um, but because of that, and I had, I shared, you know, this information on LinkedIn, I had had someone reach out still at the same college, but in a totally different department that I would have never met. Um, that was like, hey, like I see that you've done like inclusive accessible teaching and have done design in that way. And we have a program that we need support with. Would you be willing to be like an on a contract role for that? So like things like that, where um, there's no way I could have predicted that that would happen, or I could have intentionally sought that out initially. I think um, those moments like feel super big to me where somebody's like, Hey, like I've seen that you've done this and I, I would love to hire you to do that. Or I'd love to connect you with somebody that really needs that support. Like those times, uh, they just feel so magical and like just a little gift. Um, so I would say that, that those, those little pieces, those are huge for me. Yes. And I love what you said about just being aligned with all of your morals, because then now just opened so many doors for you to be able to just continue that alignment. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. So opposite, what is your greatest challenge as an instructional designer? You know, um, I I'm going to go back to inner work and knowing that I have value as an instructional designer. I remember like my first, like, <laughs> like year, maybe, maybe even yeah, I would say a year of my, the first role that I got in instructional design, I was like, wait, I'm an instructional designer. <laughs> like I kept having that like realization. Um, and I had spent like about a year really um, deciding I wanted to get into instructional design, then upskilling, networking, and then finally applying. So I had kind of had a goal for a little while and then I was there and I was doing it. I was like, I don't feel qualified. <laughs> like, was anybody paying me to do this? And I, I think I kind of um, can get stuck in that place, uh, especially because instructional design can sometimes be whittled down to like being able to use like certain tech. Like if you like look anywhere on LinkedIn, it's like this course for articulate. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's cool. But like, that's not just like, that's not all instructional design is. And it's so much more. Um, but if you don't have like expertise in certain tools or you haven't done like this very specific thing that somebody else has said is, is important for instructional design, I think it can feel like, at least for me, it can feel like I'm not good enough because I, I haven't had that instructional design experience. Um, 
but again, I think it's a lot of inner work and like realizing like, no, like I, I know what I'm doing. And um, once you learn one tech, you can pretty much learn them all. They're very similar. <laughs> you know, articulate's really just PowerPoint. <laughs> Don't tell anybody, uh, but tell everybody. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think it's really just like coming into the space and realizing like, okay, I, like there are things I can pull from. Um, I do have the experience. And if I don't, I feel like I can get it. Like I feel tenacious enough to be able to upskill on the ways that I need to, to support whatever learning it is I'm trying to support. Yes. I thank you so much for saying that about the tech, because yeah. I've had, I've had so many people reach out to me that are like, I can't, I don't know HTML. I can't be an ID. And it's like, you can learn that on the job. Like that is not <laughs> I literally mm -hmm. use it for like deleting certain parts or bolding. Mm -hmm. Like that's not what an ID is. And so thank you so much for, for saying that. Yeah. I mean, it's cool to know those things. Like it's sweet to know HTML. Like I don't know it enough uh, to like spit out some code at you, <laughs> but I do really know how to use Google. And, um, and there are some really fantastic resources already out there, especially for learning design that like the code's already there. There's no reason why I need to create it myself. And if I know enough to know like H1 is heading one or, <laughs> you know, like this will give you a paragraph break, then I can go in there and, and kind of um, be curious about it, but not feel like I have to know everything. So yeah, anytime, happy to, happy to, <laughs> to normalize not knowing every single piece of tech. Yes. And yes, hundred percent storyline is glorified PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I truly believe that too, because um. Our LMS that we use for the college that I work at now does not allow for SCORM. So I can't use Articulate um, in our LMS, but we can use Google and embed um, like through like a public Google um, when you publish it to the web. And uh, a couple of our multimedia um, specialists have been able to like really replicate articulate through Google slides. And it just makes me giggle every time I see it because it's so good and it works so well and it is so cheap. Um, and we didn't need to do it with articulate. So I think that there's a, a level of scrappiness that you can have in instructional design that like, if you don't know it with this tool, you could probably do it with this tool and it will probably get you the same or similar results and it'll work just fine. Absolutely. Um, so what do you wish you knew before becoming an instructional designer? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. I think I wish I knew um, just some more of like the language around instructional design. <laughs> I have a fabulous mentor who's got like a bazillion years of instructional design experience and uh, in corporate and in higher ed. She's just fantastic. Um, and I was paired up with her through ID to ID, which is how you and I met as well, which I love. Um, and I remember like talking to her about, um, needing to understand, this is very early on in my instructional design experience, but needing to understand like storyboarding. And I really wanted to be able to do that well, <clears throat> but I thought that storyboarding was course mapping. Um, and didn't understand the difference. And so I think that those are some of the nuances that 
folks that are, you know, trying to get into instructional design may not fully understand until you're in it and you're doing the things and you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's not a storyboard. (laughs) Um, Or like, I didn't know what, like technically what a learning object was. Like some of these really subtle pieces that like, you don't technically need to know to do the job, but would have helped me articulate what I was trying to learn and what I was trying to do with the learners and the SMEs that I was working with that I think would have like put me like light years ahead of where I was at when I first started. Um, and now I feel like I've got the language that I just didn't even know existed before I started. So, um, so yeah, I think probably that. That's a great point too. Have you found that depending where you are or who you're talking to, like <laughs> things mean different things? Yeah. 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 I think that's, that's part of the, the issue and why I myself got confused. One, we can't even pick a name. Okay. Are we instructional designers? Are we learning experience designers? Are we user experience designers? Are we learning designers? You know, <laughs> it's, it's confusing for a lot of people and, Um, And I think that there are people that are outside of learning and development that will say, oh, you need to storyboard. And they're like, well, no, that's not a storyboard. This is a course map or a design doc, which is what my college calls it. Um, So I think, yeah, there's a lot of confusion around it. So even now um, I'll just speak up and be like, okay, I, I think I understand what you're saying. Do you mean this? Um, and then we can, we can make sure that we're all on the same page, but yeah, I think that that's part of the challenge and, and just learning and development in general is that there's so many different words for so many different things that all mean the same thing or they don't, but they're calling it the same thing. Agreed. I, (laughs) yes, that was something I struggled with too. And especially going to like different universities, they'll be talking about something and I'm like, wait, that we Mm -hmm. call that something else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what, what is your best piece of advice for somebody who wants to get into instructional design? Um, I will say, and this was the advice that was given to me that I think worked really well is build instructional design into your current role. Um, and this does a couple of things. One, it gives you exposure into instructional design, which you often need at least some sort of exposure um, to be able to transition into a new role. Um, most people will um, do like volunteer stuff or they'll just like do like this random project because they want to show that they can use articulate. Um, but if you can build it into your role and make it meaningful, I think that that really helps. And then two, you can see if you actually want to do it. Because <laughs> I think that, and, and this has come from my own coaching experience is that people will come to me and they say, oh, I want to get into instructional design. I'm like, great, let's talk about what makes you want to do that. Um, and they'll say something along the lines of, oh, I just love being creative. <laughs> and, um, and I giggle because I did the same thing. <laughs> and then you get into instructional design and you realize you're really not being creative and you almost never have creative freedom unless you're doing your own thing. Um, and so I think if you can build it into your role, you can kind of see what it's about and see how it fits in with a a context. Um, maybe for you, you know, maybe it's in higher ed, maybe it's in a corporate role that you're in. If you're a teacher, oh, there could be so much teaching training that could be developed right now. 
um, that they could use. And then they could see like, okay, yeah, I do want to do this. Or actually, I think I like coding more or I like graphic design more. And you can step into those big tech spaces too. Like you, uh, I think, I think sometimes there's this idea that, um, I can only get into instructional design and I really disagree with that. Like instructional design is there for you if you want it, but if you really want to be a software developer, go be a software developer, you know, like don't, don't limit yourself just because you've only done one thing. You can always pivot. That's amazing advice. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. All right. So super easy question. Um, just because I love stealing what other people are reading right now. Um, what are you currently reading? Oh, I love talking about books. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> and I will talk about books all day long. I, I want to do like a, like a bookstagram or something like that, but I don't have enough time or energy for that. Um, right now I am reading uh, Big Little Lies. Who is that by? That's it. Oh. Hold on. I'm, I have to look. I have to know. <laughs> um, it's a novel. Um, I always try to read like a novel and uh, a nonfiction book at the same time. So I just finished Atomic Habits by James Clear and Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Excellent books to read together, by the way. I think they both have like really nice accompanying um, messages. Um, and, but now I'm reading Big Little Lies by Leanne Moriarty. Um, and she's an excellent novelist. If anybody <laughs> wants to get into some novels, um, I'm just taking a break from the nonfiction. And yeah, that's a good one. What are you reading, Blair? I want to hear. Sure. That's awesome. Um, I, I'm the same way. I need a nonfiction and fiction depending on how I'm feeling at that mm-hmm. moment. Um, I'm reading a lot of books. It's sad, but um. <laughs> Not sad, but it's a lot depending on my mood. So my fiction right now that I read right before going to bed every night is the second Carve the Mark book by Veronica Roth. It's she um, wrote the Divergent series. So it's like another. Yeah. So it's pretty good. Um, So it's the second book. And then I'm reading um, Design for How People Learn, which has been really good. Um, Mm -hmm. It seemed like as you're reading it, you're like, yeah, duh. But then you have these epiphanies that you're just like, why am I not doing it that way? So it's <laughs> yeah. kind of cool. <clears throat> yeah. That's an um, excellent book. Yeah. And then, um, my personal development I'm reading, um, it's called B and it's just about increasing your self-worth by simply being yourself. So that, that is a very uh, powerful book. Yeah, yeah. That sounds powerful. It sounds up my alley. Yeah. It. <laughs> it's, it's really good. <laughs> and it yeah. has like at the end of every chapter, it has like, um, prompts for you to actually answer, which is always helpful for me to actually apply it instantly. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Those sound like great books. Yes. (laughs) Um, So that wraps up all of my questions. Is there anything you'd like to add or um, talk about just to kind of sum things up? Yeah, I'll say that. um, I'll say two things. One, If you want to get into instructional design, you absolutely can get into instructional design. And oftentimes the things that we think are limiting us are really just our own beliefs about what we think limits us and really not the thing. So um, I'll always say like, you've got to let go of the things you think that are holding you back because it it almost always is just you. Um, And then the other piece 
I'll say is just try and take like a 10% action toward whatever it is that you want to look at. You don't have to have it all figured out. Um, and I certainly didn't when I got into instructional design, right. I took like another year to be like, oh yeah, I'm an instructional designer. <laughs> um, and, and that's okay. Like you can start at 60% and then continue to upskill on the job or, um, in the endeavor. Like if you want to get into entrepreneurship or whatever that might look like, it's okay to kind of build the plane as you fly it. Um, and I find that that's been one of like the most, um, fulfilling pieces of my own career development is just to keep progressing onward, but um, not be so connected to this idea of perfectionism and what it might look like. So, and thanks so much for having me on the podcast, Blair. It's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. I've loved getting to know you more. Um, and we're going to have to collaborate on something because I am just super excited um, about yeah. our conversation. Oh, I would love to. And <laughs> say the word, I'm yours. <laughs> my final thoughts on my conversation with Christy. It's interesting how much um, imposter syndrome or the focus on soft skills was woven through our conversation. So Christy mentioned a few times about how kind of looking at yourself and thinking, why am I here? Like, why am I getting paid to do this? And it's so easy for people who go into a new career, go into a new position and really struggle with that imposter syndrome or that fear that you're a failure or that you are someone who doesn't belong there. And I think we talked about this a lot in the conversation of that inner work and digging really deep down and trying to figure out who you are that you are an expert in your field and really just not second guessing yourself and trusting yourself that you know the direction that you're going in is the direction that you're supposed to be going in. And she also talked a lot about these soft skills. And I know Christy works as um, a networking coach, which I just think is amazing. And I, I think that we have this misconception oftentimes, especially myself, like I call myself an ambivert meaning I'm introverted, but I'm also a little bit extroverted. But because we put our these labels on ourselves, it's like we tell ourselves, I can't do that. I can't reach out to that person. I can't connect with that person. And by holding yourself back with that limiting belief, it's almost like you're not allowing yourself to step into who you are fully. So I absolutely loved having this conversation with Christy and be on the lookout because she is a rising star. and. And I'm sure her and I will be uh, doing something together in the future because I can just see her and myself together moving mountains in the instructional design world. Thanks for tuning in to Be an Instructional Design Rockstar with Blair Stamper. I hope you enjoyed getting to hear someone else's perspective in the online learning field. Hopefully their stories were enough to inspire you and show you that you're not alone as you're going through the process of creating a course, teaching a course, or even just learning as a student in an online course. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.